fans and welcome to the big blue box podcast my name's gary my name's adam and this is episode 389 welcome back to another episode Hope you are keeping well and safe and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Doctor Who. Who. Related. Related. Yay, beat ya. Hope you for the time. Although with the delay I may not have beat you. But. As, well, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to cast aspersions. <laughs> but I did beat you. As usual. You swine. He's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a, t- a tiny little delay just a tiny one but it's enough to d- enough to give gary an advantage yes always <laughs> so i hope you're keeping well and safe hope you listened to last week episode 388 where we uh we gave you some doctor who news and uh we spoke about what episode did we review last week it was um uh revenge, revenge. of the cybermen revenge of the cybermen of yeah. course yeah <clears throat> yeah Hmm. Oh, Tom. That's a bit mediocre on that one. With it a was score. a bit, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. You guys loved mm. it a lot more than I did. I think I was a couple of points behind, but yes. So a new week, new episode coming up in today's episode, actually. We've got a couple of little newsy bits to talk about. Some bits that have been uh, in the uh, the Doctor Who news circles, I suppose. A couple of bits of merch have been announced at the old Toy Fair. And then mm, we're going to crack yeah. on with our review of the... Third Doctor story, Frontier in Space. Frontier in Space. The old six pass. Before we get on to that though, bud, how have you been? Have you had a... Yeah, I've been pretty good. Anything Doctor Who-y this week? Not much, um, <clears throat> excuse me, not much Doctor Who-y. I have listened to a couple of big Finnish audios, though. If that counts, I guess that's Doctor Who Universe, because I've been a bit strapped for time <laughs> this week, so, but I managed to fit in a couple of uh, audios because I've been doing a lot of train journeys, and... Um, I haven't really... I used to be massive on Big Finish, um, and then the output got a bit too much for me, money-wise, and I couldn't keep up with it all. So I wouldn't say I've fallen out of love with Big Finish recently, but I just haven't been buying or listening to anywhere near as much as I used to. But they've had a couple of Torchwood sales recently, and I bought a couple just because they were quite cheap, just to see what they like. I'd heard it was a good range. In fact, I think we've spoke about this before. Listeners have told us, you know, the Torchwood range is really good, but I've never really delved in. And I loved the ones that I got. So they did another sale recently, so I bought a couple more. And, um, yeah, that is slowly becoming, like, my favourite range of of Big Finish. They're just really cool little 50-minute contained stories. Some of them have a little bit of an arc, but not much. Um, And I've been loving them. So I listened to one the other night called One Rule, I think it was. I'm just going to quickly check now with Tracy Ann Uberman, which is one of the first ones in the Torchwood monthly range. And, oh, mate, it was great. It was such a good story and such a fun listen. Um, I feel like I've 
uh, been a bit behind the times with these. Feel like I'm sort of catching up with everyone else now and finding out how good they are. But yeah, so I listened to that one, and um, I also listened to a Murray Melvin one one because I love Murray Melvin. Um, listen to one of the last ones that he recorded and yeah just fantastic so um, if we've got anyone out there that's like me that's sort of been thinking oh, those Torchwood audios any good the ones <laughs> I've listened to have been have been great and uh, they're mostly ones from the sort of first uh, 30 releases because those are the ones that have been in the sale and um, yeah I haven't had a bad one yet listen to a good one with Michael Palin you know the Monty Python guy uh, oh yeah Yep. Um, called Tropical Beach Sounds and Other Relaxing Seascapes, right? Really odd title. My friend recommended this to me. He's like, this story is bonkers and it is absolutely perfect for audio and it's Michael Palin. What more do you want? And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll give it a go. Brilliant, mate. Absolutely like such a bizarre little sort of 50 minute story um, with Michael Palin almost doing like a relaxation storytelling tape. But then he he's... I don't know, he sort of t- it turns into a story where you're sort of immersed in it. It's so clever. I just was really impressed with it. So, yeah. So I've, I've been listening to a couple of Tortured Audios uh, this week, which have been great. But apart from that, I haven't really had time to do anything else because obviously we've had this whopping big parter, Frontier in Space, to get watched. <laughs> so that's kind of taken out the rest of my free time. But uh, how about yourself, mate? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, sounds good, dude. And um, I've not really done anything to too crazy with doctor like you said with um with the old classic episodes that are six parters they uh they take up a little mm. bit of time of course but one thing i did do was start read i started reading this book a year ago maybe two mm. years ago i can't remember um mm. i don't know if you remember it's a book called the long game by paul hayes i do know it yes yeah so yeah. it's the in it's basically a bit of a a, a a documentary in book form about how they brought the show back for 2005 and um uh, sorry, no. Um, the uh, basically the you know the re- yeah the relaunch in two thousand five. I started reading it's it. A lead up. Yeah, yeah, when it first came out, I only got about two or three chapters chapters in, but for some reason, um, I, I fell off the book. Not because I wasn't enjoying mm. it, but I, I can't remember. Anyway, so I started rereading that a couple of days ago, um, and I'm up to the same point actually than I started reading it before. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm really liking it so far. So. Uh, that's the only thing I've done Doctor Who wise, apart from watching the uh, the review app, the review story. I, I read that book about a year ago. Funny enough, I think it was maybe I bought it at the same time as you when it sort of first came out. Um, and it is a great book, actually. Yeah, just it talks about just like how difficult it was to actually bring back the show and who. There's, if I, I, I'm assuming you you're at the start where it's talking about there's confusion over who actually owns the rights to the Doctor Who because we just assume the BBC owned it but there Mm. was this sort of grey area during the 90s and uh, wasn't there so there was all this sort of conflicting things that stopped it coming back and um, it is a really good book actually yeah I do remember liking it but I think I read it yeah probably a year ago when it came out yes yeah I can't remember when this launched I think it was um, I don't know anyway uh, it's a good book so far those of you that have not read it um, still widely available pick it up The Long Game by Paul Hayes, so uh, hmm. might get might try and get Paul on uh, and have a chat with him about the book because it's got some really interesting stuff here. Like a, a lot of things that you would have seen, um, sort of doing the rounds, or you've watched in various documentaries, or you've chatted to other Who fans that may have that may know people involved in the BBC, whatever. There's lots of common stories and tales, of course, about that yeah. stuff, but it's mainly um, you know things like Chris Eccleston falling out with russell and him not being happy and some other bits 
around the production. All of that stuff is typically stories and tales and myths around um, once the very first episode Rose had aired onwards from 2005. Um, but this book is very much the, the precursor to that stuff. This book is more about um, actually getting the show off the ground and getting it made and all the early days and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I'll contact Paul, see if we can get him on. That'd be a good chat if he's up there would be actually yeah he's done another one as well he's just released another one hasn't he called paul to open which is uh 1962 to 63 the inside story of the bbc created and launched doctor who so i guess it's just uh, talking about how the show actually came to be in the first place and i haven't got that book yet but it's um yeah it's on my want list so yeah we should get paul on to have a chat indeedy yes if you're listening paul <laughs> yeah, he probably does listen. Of course, I'm sure he does. Along everybody with, listens. Yeah, along with Russell <laughs> and and Shooty and everybody. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we're not going to land the TARDIS and and do any news. We haven't really got much to um to dig into. Just a couple of bits that have been doing the rounds. Uh, first up, this is a bit of a and interestingly, um, uh, we spoke about this on the round table a little bit last night. So. Um, make sure you're following or subscribing to the Big Blue Box because we have a round table episode that goes out once a month. That's going to drop next Monday uh, where we get the writing team together and we just talk about you know various Doctor Who bits. But we spoke briefly about it. I want to get your thoughts as well. This uh, this thing that uh, about Millie Gibson leaving the show, quote-unquote, mm. already. It's been a bit of uh, The way that I fall down on it, it sounds like a bit of a storm in a teacup to me but some other parts of fandom are taking this as a you know how fandom works with doctor who they'll see something like mm-hmm. this and it's like oh no the show is in crisis we have people leaving already you know it's all my view is that this is very much normal and and has been planned by russell and there's nothing to worry about at all it's just russell has written this character to be in it for one season plus another couple of eps in in the next season and and that's it it's all very much to plan and everything. And if we think about some of the previous companions as well, Martha mm. and and even Donna. I mean, Donna, if you take away the 60th episodes for a second, Donna, it feels like she's been in Doctor Who a lot, but she only had one full series. Yeah, yeah I never think of her as being a one series. Exactly, yeah. She was, yeah. yeah, you know, she was in it for the special and, and the 60s yeah. and stuff like that. But in terms of just being in it a proper series, Martha only had one series, although she came back Donna only had one. So really the exception to the and some of the old classic companions as well, you know, like Dodo and you know, some of those people. Oh, all just one season, you know, one series. So the the exception to the rule is really Rose, right? So Billy Piper, yeah. she's the exception to the rule. So when you think about it like that and you put it in context, Millie Gibson is really just on par with a lot of the other companions that we've seen in the show so that's my view on it but what do you think dude and this has not been confirmed by the way by russell or the bbc it's just you know it's pretty much is there but we haven't had any official stuff from millie or the bbc but where where do you fall on this dude yeah i, I was a bit surprised when i saw the headline i was like oh no she off already um so yeah i was a bit shocked i mean i have heard rumblings uh, for quite a while that um i don't know it all wasn't she wasn't that happy or she was finding, you know, the the long hours or the night shoots difficult and she was being branded a diva on set. But, you I've, you know, you kind of dismiss that. Like, oh, well, I'm sure every actor has a bad day or, you know, probably been blown all out of proportion. So I don't know if, if that does play into it or whether, like you said, it was always planned that way because 
Um, we've already seen, people already seem to know who the new companion is. Um, I don't know the actor. I don't know if you do. I think she was in Andor. I don't even know her name. I've never heard of her. Um, do you know who it is? Oh. Because um, we've already seen pictures of them out filming. Yes. Yeah, I, I know her face. I can picture it. But as usual with names, yeah. you know, not a chance. Oh, yeah. We're not no. the best for names, <laughs> listeners, you know. But I, I mean, I haven't watched Andor, so I don't know. But um, so that's that's the bit I find a little bit odd is that if it was planned um, and obviously once they start filming on the streets, so like they've been doing a lot of filming um, by this, uh, I don't know, somewhere in, in Wales, some famous landmark or whatever. Um uh, you know, so we we see Shooty out there with the new companion. It's pretty obvious. Um, so I'm surprised they haven't put out like a, an official statement or announcement about it. Because, you you know, normally it seems like Russell's really planning quite far ahead. We're already into series two being filmed. So uh, I just think normally when they know they're going to be on location and spotted, they normally are ready with an mm-hmm. announcement, you know, introducing so-and-so's new companion. And I don't know if they're just holding back because it's a bit disrespectful to Millie because she hasn't even like hit the screens in terms of her first series yet. We've only seen her in the special or, um, or if it has just been a little bit last minute, I don't know. I doubt it because these things have to be planned so far in the head. I mean, you can't just, well, I suppose you can alter scripts and things, but you can't just suddenly, you know, the the word that's been used by the press, which I think is terrible, is drop someone, you know. She, apparently she's been dropped, that's what the press is saying, which I think is mm. is awful because, you know, that puts her in a bad light and, and and could affect her future career, which is something that, you know, it's like history repeating itself. It's That's what Christopher Eccleston was so angry about, or one of the things, wasn't it, that he said that, that he was branded as being tired when he left um, after doing just one series. So it does mm. feel a little bit like history repeating itself um but we'll see mate i mean i i'm I'm sort of sad that she's leaving already and i think it is bizarre in a way that we haven't even got to see her in her first series you know and yet already we know that she'll be going by the end of it um but yeah i'm excited for the new person as well so it's a bit of a double-edged sword i think I'm glad they're filming so far in advance because I like the fact that we've got stuff in the can so we're not going to get a repeat of the last couple of years where it's just like such big gaps between series and we don't even know if the next series is being filmed and blah, blah. I love the fact they're planning so far ahead and recording so far ahead. But I guess the downside of that is (laughs) we're finding out things which are already not making series one, as they're calling it, feel dated, but we already sort of feel like, oh, we're already a series behind, you know, in terms of the new fresh companion, it already makes it feel a little bit stale and out of date before it's even hit the screen. That's the sort of downside of it, I guess. But yeah. 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 I don't know, mate. I <clears throat> I would just assume, and I don't know, and we may never know. I would just assume she's a, what's she 19? She's a young actor. Mm-hmm. She took the role and she probably just wants to go on and do other things. I mean, she maybe she doesn't want to be tied down to a long-range show, you know. Or maybe she f- did find it more difficult than she thought. Because as we know, Doctor Who is a hard show to film. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it is a stressful job. We always talk about Peter Capaldi, how it, it absolutely burnt him out, you know, by the time he, he finished, didn't it? He, he said in that, that yeah. interview, he was absolutely knackered. By the, by the end of his run and you know so it is a tough job maybe she just wanted you know said i i've enjoyed it but i'm off who mm. knows i i just think um yeah i just think 
the papers have been a bit harsh in the way they've reported it. I don't know. But then that's our that's press it. for you, isn't it? That is the that is what the British press are like. They always go for the bad angle. And even if there's truth to it, I don't think there's any need to report it in the, the way that they do. But anyway, I, I wish you all the best. I'm still looking forward to seeing her on the screen. Yeah, same as that, dude. Yeah, still going to be cool seeing her. Um, the the new companion, by the way, the, the actress's name is uh, Varada Sethu. And uh, should have known this really, but uh, she played Cinta in Andor. And yeah, she's the new, the new. Yeah, it's weird to say it already, isn't it? She's the new companion. <laughs> I know the new new companion. <laughs> the new new. We, well, companion. it's not been officially announced, but everybody knows it, don't they? So everybody knows. Yeah, it all seems that way. Do you, yeah. Have you watched Andor, mate? I'm assuming. Of course, you have. yes, yeah. Of course. What a silly question. Yeah, those of uh, listeners that don't know, I do another podcast, <clears> a Star Wars one, and we reviewed that heavily last year when that was uh, going out. So if you want your Star Wars fix, then Spark of Rebellion. Is the podcast. I was listening to you guys the other day, actually. Yeah. I was listening to your the one you did before Christmas, um, oh, yeah. where you were doing a roundup of best moments and stuff. And I said, um, I was staying with my friends in London. I said, it's so weird hearing you with, an, you know, doing like with another host. I said, it's like, you know, the, the wife with another man. I said, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like hearing the wife with another man. I don't oh. No, just yeah, but it's a cool podcast. This is going to listen to Spark Rebellion if you're into your Star Wars. It's a cool podcast. <laughs> Adam will always be my first. My, oh, my, whatever. Oh, <laughs> don't give me that now. Your dinner's in the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, that's the new companion. Millie, you're out, love. Verada, yeah, you're sorry, in. you're out. Yeah. <laughs> Jumbo and uh, we used to talk about Stephen Moffat being leaving Doctor Who and uh, I'll never forget that image that we we conjured up this whole scenario oh, didn't we yes. so I'm yeah. 100% sure that it was all completely amicable and Stephen left obviously on his his own accord everything's fine but we used to say these things like you know the back door was opened and he was launched out into the alleyway <laughs> into the bins and you know here you go take your yeah. wine with you don't leave that in the yeah. in the dressing room go on get out of here but, you know, yeah. I'm sure Millie has not been tossed out into the street or fired in any way. Like, I think this is all just par for the course, mate. I honestly do. I think she knew mm-hmm. 100% going in, Russell laid it all out and said, look, this is your story arc. Here's like, you know, when you're, we, you know, we think the character's going to be leaving, you know, and that's it. So that's my, uh, but you, you're absolutely right, though. The press and some other sort of independent blogs, they'll make it sound you know, like it's the end of the world. But anyway, uh, we've had some figures announced, dude. Some new figures. Mm. And we're not talking, we're not talking B&M sets for once. Oh, thank goodness. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. So currently we have here in the UK, we have um, the uh, the UK Toy Fair over at the Olympia in London, which is the, um, it's like the, well, they say it's the largest uh, annual event dedicated to toys games and hobbies and it's a bit of a trade show and stuff so this one's not really for the sort of end consumer this is more for uh, all of the sort of uk retailers to go and look at stuff that they want to start stocking and selling and and marketing and stuff throughout the year onwards so you often get it, it's a trade show basically that's why you and i have never gone to this one and and reported on mm. it and stuff like that but uh character options has uh is showing off a few new figures. 
so we have the uh, the 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 action figure for Shooty's Doctor. We have the action figure for Ruby Sunday. We have the action yeah. figure for the Wrath Warrior from the Star Beast. Uh, we also have the Fifteenth Doctor's sonic screwdriver, which I think is probably the most controversial uh, thing in there. I mean, the figures were kind of a given. I think they were always going to be coming yeah, anyway, uh, along with the Sonic. But the Sonic, just because of its very nature by its design and and everybody mm. being a bit divisive on it. Uh, and then we've got the uh, the Meep plush toy, which is actually a lot larger than what I thought it was going to be. Remember when they used to release yeah. plushes? a lot back in the day and we had the little adipose plushes oh, yeah. and stuff like that i thought it was going to be quite small like that but it's actually uh it's a decent size so any of these uh on your list for pickups dude all of them all of them <laughs> all right. of them as someone who loves collecting the toys um yeah i i think actually the the figures look surprisingly good um, i mean i just think they yeah they they look very good from the pictures i've seen the meat plush is an absolute must i'm so glad that that's hopefully going to be a thing i think none of these have been like a hundred percent officially approved yet i mean that's the that's the thing of the toy fair isn't it they're there to sort of gain interest and and to get you know approval to say yes there's a, a market for this and we can put them into production and stuff so but um i'd hope i'd like to think they're all a given certainly by the reaction um, from the fan base, uh, people uh, you know, like myself who collect things like this are desperate to get them. So, even the Sonic mate, which as you know, I'm not a fan of it. It's something about it as a toy. Like I just obviously will get one. It just looks, um, it looks pretty cool as a toy. I've got to admit it, but I don't, mm. I don't know. I've got mixed feelings on that. But the the meat plush um, absolutely is uh, top of my list. I, I can't wait to get that, and I'm I'm glad that it's there because Russell had said there was going to be no meat merch. You, you tease Russell trying to lead yeah. us down the garden path. But yeah, <laughs> the meat plush mate looks great. I think the figures themselves look good. Cause obviously sometimes as you know, facially, sometimes these figures can look a bit, Oh, who's that meant <laughs> to be? But these look good. I'm assuming they've done like a, a proper digital scan for these. Cause um, even from the blurred pictures that were taken at the fair, they look good. They mm -hmm. look decent. So as a toy collector, mate, I'm I'm very excited for all of this stuff. Oh, nice. Cool. I'm probably... I know you're not much of a collector, so I'm guessing uh, you're not as excited as me, but but you, I'm assuming you still think they look pretty good, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I'm not one for Doctor Who figures, as you know, um, but I might no. get the Sonic and I'll definitely get the Meep plush because that looks pretty sweet. Yes. Meep. Yes, definitely get that Meep, Meep plush. Do you reckon it's the same size as the, you know, the Baby Yoda... There was like a sort of, well, it's not a plush, but it's like a sort of life-size, not doll. What would you call it? Full uh, of a better word, doll. You must have got one. I've got one. Not the Baby Yoda, not the Grogu, no. no. Have you not got the big sort of toy of it? No, no, no. no. Oh, wow, I've got one. <laughs> Just assumed you would have it. <laughs> I love that. Well, I've got oh. one, so... Well, it just makes me more of a Star Wars fan than you. I mean, what's going on? No, I'm joking. But, well, I know what to get you for Christmas now. Let me just write that down. There you go. Goo Goo Plush for Gary. Yeah, no, okay. Well, I assume it's going to be the same size as that. You know the one I'm, I'm talking about, though, don't you? I do, yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. probably going to be... I mean, I don't know. It's it, All I know is it looks slightly larger than mm. your average sort of smaller plush that we've, we've, we've got from things. Because they did... Um, we had a weeping angel plush back in the day. Like I said, we had a, 
an adipose and we've had another couple of things so it just looks slightly larger than those which is no Mm -hmm. bad thing yeah and the only other bit of merch we got which was not announced at the fair but came as a sort of uh an announcement anyway was um they've they've released a a set exclusive from character options website of the fugitive doctor with her tardis um, which looks very nice as well. I, this would have normally been an immediate pre-order for me, but I, I, it's forty pounds, which um, yeah. oh, is just a little bit. I mean, it's, it's just money, so you got to be a bit careful at the minute. I just couldn't quite. My my finger was hovering over the add to basket for for the whole day, but I can't quite afford that at the minute. But it does look pretty cool, um, and yeah. it's a set that a lot of Doctor Who fans have been waiting for for a while. So Fugitive Doctor Figure and her TARDIS. Um, I. I hate to say it, I think if that TARDIS had been electronic, it probably would have persuaded me to get it, but I couldn't quite justify 40 quid for a set with, with a TARDIS that didn't do anything, um, didn't light up or make sounds, but it still looks nice. I'm sure I'll end up getting one, but yeah. So if you want that, listener, it's available to, to order now from character. From character. And the other stuff, yeah. I'm guessing, will come out when Series 1 launches, I assume. Yeah, probably. In May, yeah. whatever yeah. it is, yeah. Yeah, so character-online.com. And then I think it's on the homepage anyway, but if not, there's a... Oh, it is on the homepage, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm with you, dude. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a figurine. I, I do collect some figures for other franchises, but Doctor Who, I just, I don't know. I've just never been into the figures as much for those. Uh, but 40 quid, dude, for... I mean... Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just the TARDIS. If it had just a little light, maybe. Just a little switch. <laughs> just a little on light, the, yeah. On the back, just to light up that top. Top little uh, light would have been sweet, but yeah. I'm just looking to see if our Matt from our Blue Box team, has he put anything in the mer- in our Discord? Has he put anything in the merch section about these yet? He has. I'm sure he he's will. On he's on oh, it. Oh, he has. He's yeah. on it. Of course he's on it. Yeah, so check out our Discord uh, listener. Um, Matt, uh, our our writer, he puts in all the merch in there on the Discord now. So yeah, you can go and have a look at it in there if you want to. Yes, indeedy. Yeah, Matt is uh, custodian of all the merch news these days. So yeah, he'll stick it in there. But yeah, that's it. He's on it. He's on it. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's uh, all the all the little tidbits that's been kicking around over the last week or and some change. But enough of that. It's review time, dude. What have we got? Yeah, so a third Doctor story this week. Frontier in space. Emergency, emergency, red alert. Earth and Draconia are on the brink of war. We do fear the Earthmen. They fear us. The time has come for extreme measures. This is a military situation. We should attack now. I will not be responsible for starting a war. The treaty between our two empires established a frontier in space. We have never violated that frontier. There is a conspiracy to start a war between Earth and Draconia. There's also a third party, Professor, who is plotting to set the two empires at each other's throats. So it was you. You ordered those Ogrons to attack the ships and pretend they were Draconia. We shall force you to go back. Under the powers invested in me by the Special Security Act, I'm sending you to the Lunar Penal Colony. <laughs> Jam-packed. That is a very exciting trailer. What yeah. story is that for? 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Is it this review story? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Okay, so the frontier, uh, not the frontier. Come on, Gary. Come on. Come on, not, fake fan. Frontier in space. Minus the the. The the. <laughs> frontier in space was first broadcast back on the 31st of March, 1973. It's a six-parter, and the last one went out on the 24th of February of the same year. It was written by Malcolm Hulk. Directed by Paul Barnard, overseen by Terence Dix, and stars, obviously, John Pertwee as the third Doctor, Katie Manning as Joe Grant, and then a fairly decently sized support cast headed up by Roger Delgado as the Master, and a bunch of other people that we'll get onto shortly. And the synopsis for this one, uh, which just throws in the twist spoiler in there, so I think we're safe to say that this is going to be spoilerific. If you've not seen Frontier in Space before... You've had plenty of time, obviously, to watch it. But the synopsis is, The Third Doctor and Joe are caught in the escalating tension between planet Earth and Draconia and discover that the Master and the Daleks are secretly working to provoke the two into all-out war. So you now know who the bad guy is, really, Mm -hmm. in said story. So what are your thoughts off the bat on this one, dude? Um, Well, it... I, I found this one a real slog, <laughs> to be honest. Um, the problem was, as I said earlier, I didn't have a lot of time this week. I had intended to, a lot of free time, I mean, I had intended to space out the episodes because it's. I, I knew this six-parter was perhaps not one of the best, but um, I thought if I sort of watched two episodes at a time or or maybe three episodes one night and three another, it, it probably would uh, help. Unfortunately, mate, I just didn't get time... Uh, to watch it like that uh, I ended up having last night was the only night I could watch it which meant watching all six episodes in a row because I just <laughs> I, yeah so I had to watch it from start to finish last night and um, that may have really sort of affected my enjoyment of it I think because I, I found this quite hard going to be honest with you um, bizarrely Normally with six parts, I think they start off quite well and then there's lots of padding in the middle and and then the ending tends to pick up. But um, with this one, I found the first three episodes like really slow and and padded. And then it seemed to get better towards the end, I thought. I think when the master comes into it, it picks up. Um, and the pluses for it, I think, are Roger Delgado, who gives a, a, a wonderful sparkling performance he just he lifts every scene it really this story really needed him in it as much as it's like you know the reveal of the the master it's oh it's him again it's one of the problems with Pertwee's era that as much as i absolutely adore roger delgado as the master you know he pops up all the time that it just becomes a bit of a almost like a running joke like who's the villain oh my goodness it's the master everybody acts surprised you know so although there's a bit of that going on in this i was just glad to see him because it, it totally lifts the story for me once he's in it um i think um katie manning as well is very strong in this story she helps to to carry it um but but pertwee i don't think i've ever seen such a flat performance from him i i couldn't <laughs> quite work out what was going on it's not to say he's bad in it but he's just very lifeless in this story and maybe it's just the way the doctor's been written i don't know but 
Um, for me, Delgado and, and Katie Manning really help like helped me get through this this six parter. Um I was just surprised at Percy because I love his doctor and he's normally uh so engaging. I just didn't feel like John was firing on all cylinders in this one and it really needed him to be um t- to sort of uh to help it help get through it, I think. And it's strange because I hear that the Draconians were his favourite monster. I hear that he loved this story, so I don't know what was going on with him. And maybe you don't agree. Maybe you think Pertwee was great in it, but for me, he just wasn't doing anything for me in this story, so that didn't help. But yeah, not great, mate. It's it's not... I do like the premise of the story. You know, I like the idea of fake news and making, you know, people go to war and all that. It kind of rings true with what goes on in real life, so it's a little bit political, and I think that's works quite well so the story itself is okay the cast are a bit but um yeah overall i i was kind of glad when it finished one thing i will say as well just quickly to wrap up my thoughts i completely forgot the daleks were in it i don't maybe i've only watched this once before but when they turned up on the cliff edge i was like daleks no way. <laughs> I was like really shocked to see them. And it's not like this is the first I've watched it. So I guess I'd just forgotten they were in it. But that was nice. That lifted the story as well for me, even though they're only in the end, which I like actually, because I wouldn't have wanted them in it much more. I just thought that was a cool little element to add into the story so late on that, the, you know, the Daleks are in the last sort of episode, albeit very briefly. I thought that was pretty cool, actually, and quite unusual. So I liked them turning up in this. I thought that was cool. And then obviously the ending is completely rushed. Um, I don't know what happened. Well, I do know what happened. We'll talk about it. You know, they were practically right. They were filming it on the on the studio floor. Uh, hence why it's just a complete quick wrap-up that wasn't anything like what it was scripted to be. So it's a very strange ending to the story. The master just sort of seems to vanish from the screen which is such a shame because it's Delgado's last ever Doctor Who story because he sadly um, was killed he died didn't he Um, after this so it's the last appearance of the Master which is uh, not the best story for him to go out on I have to say but anyway over to you dude I've waffled enough it's it it, yeah it was a (laughs) bit of a slog what do you reckon did you enjoy it Um, do you know what dude I actually quite like this one you do? Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. I always like it when we've got a different opinion. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Do you know what it is as well? I can't the I can't put my finger on it exactly because th- there's a few things in here that that mean it shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Mainly because it's spread over six parts, so it gets quite paddy and we end up going in circles quite a little bit. So you know the the sort of um confrontation i guess between um general williams um the uh what's the lady's name um well the president yeah Vera i think Fusek. she's just called just president yeah, I think yeah. She's just called president so you have and then the draconian um uh kind of uh, messenger i guess or diplomat you know so you have this and then the doctor and joe are caught up in between so um on on the surface that works really well because the master has sort of um put all this in place you know he set the the wheel in motion and he's caused all this tension by you know um getting the ogrons in with the 
the um the the device that sort of changes your perception and you know they can they he's basically turning the draconians and 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 the humans against each other so mm. he's kind of masterminded this big plan which works really well but because it's over six parts you end up having to go over that all the time so oftentimes yeah. at least a couple of times in each episode especially the first four episodes you end up with this scene in the president's office where she's having a disagreement with williams she's saying mm. what if what if the doctor and this with girl are telling the truth he's like no absolutely not you know the draconians are up to no good the draconians turn up they deny everything and then cut to something else and we go back to that same scene almost <laughs> yeah. that same conversation mm. for a while so it pads a little bit the pacing's a bit slow there's a lot of repetitive repetitiveness in there mm. but for some reason i i find myself just captivated by it mm. and i don't know why i think because you mentioned that it's not one of pertwee's best performance he's a little bit flat and he's not as even when he's doing his you know the, the karate and stuff and uh, yeah. he gets yeah. to get his hands dirty a little bit like that there's a couple of little bits but generally speaking it's almost you almost get the vibe that he's like do you know what i'm just done with all this i, I don't mean that as per to his view on playing the character i literally mean he's playing the doctor and the doctor is thinking i'm just done with all this now mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. here we go again like yeah. we've turned up to help they don't believe us oh and now this guy's here as well the master's turned up there's a surprise He's probably going to, you know, cause a load of trouble, which he ultimately does. Oh, look, there's these other dudes that are turned up as well. They're going to cause a lot of trouble. And now the Daleks are here as well. Brilliant. I just want to sit down and have a cup of tea, to be honest. That's the kind of vibe that he's given off as he's playing the Doctor in these episodes Mm. to me. Not in the first couple. The first couple, he's kind of happy-go-lucky, sort of having a good time with Joe and, you know, they're, doing their investigative investigative stuff and it's all good and you know but then as the story progresses he's just like uh because he gets thrown back in jail about four times you know he escapes and gets thrown back in and escapes and thrown you just get maybe it was subconsciously john pertwee's thinking this script is getting a bit samey now you know i'm doing the same things over and over again the only sort of bit that provides a little bit of a shake-up is when he gets sent to the um the the prison on the moon the lunar penal colony yeah quite liked that yeah when he sort of mucks in with these other dudes like there's a little bit of a political thing going on here isn't there and you can tell that um yeah so you have this thing where um uh you know you can you can trace the origins of it back to sort of everyday conflicts that we've seen you know dating back to uh the second world war where you have these big sort of two big powers who ultimately go to war but there are these other people that are sort of you know stirring the pot a little bit and you know and that sort of thing and then you've got the rebels if you like so the the people that he meets up on the moon in the moon penal colony they um they're like this other sort of political party that want to escape and then overthrow the president and then come to power because they've got their own thoughts on you know on how the human race should be governed and everything like that so there's like a political Mm. underpinning to it which which is very obvious um which you can't really miss and it provides a little bit of a shake-up but then once that's happened we then go back to you know the master basically sets them free from prison in a way he says he's going to transport them to whatever but then end up getting you know just back into that same conversation with the president and williams and stuff 
Um, so really, um, it shouldn't work, but I like it, and I, and I don't know why. It's I, I think it's just because it's got that, just that quintessential old school Sunday afternoon roast dinner television feel to it. I really, it, it's got a real kind of coziness to it. I'm hoping that that, that people relate to that because uh, that, that I have I have that with a with a couple of TV shows and certain stories within those TV shows um, where it's like a bit of a, a cozy blanket mm. in terms of TV. So the, anyway, it's not perfect by any means and I'm certainly not going to advocate for it to be, you know, up there with, with, with John Pertwee's best or anything like that or, um, or Malcolm Hook's best story by any means, but I do like it. Um, no, I, I get the cozy. I get the cozy yeah. thing. I get what you mean. I mean, I was gonna say it sounds like you enjoy it a lot more than me, but I, I totally get that vibe from it. And I, as I said, I think it would have helped if I had been able to sort of split this up a little bit. I think watching all six was just a bit too much because it is very repetitive. That's the problem for me. You know, like the the Doctor and Joe are literally <laughs> go from prison cell to prison cell to prison cell. And I thought maybe that's why John Pope was so bored because all he's doing <laughs> is getting thrown in the cell and having to sit down. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, so it, to me, it was just so repetitive. Like they they, they must spend about eighty percent of this story in a in a in different prison cells. Um, and I'd say, yeah, and also, like you said, the scenes with the arguing between the president and that. Yeah, it was just way too repetitive for me. I was finding myself getting very bored um, until the master showed up and then it it did take a turn. But I will agree with you, mate. It it does have some nice uh, bits to it. Like you said, the, you know, when the doctor's on the way to the moon and stuff in that prison bit, <laughs> another prison bit, but yeah. And, and the master and the Daleks and, and stuff that, and the location footage around the festival hall. Um, mm -hmm. I liked all that obviously, cause it made me think, Oh, we go there to the BFI events. And I know that location. So I loved seeing all that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. There, yeah, there are, there are some stuff in there I liked and I do think I probably would have appreciated it more had I been able to, break it up a little bit rather than watching all six and that is mainly because it is very repetitive um and there is quite a bit of padding so yeah there is the actual story yeah i get what you mean uh, it's it's not a bad story in that sense yeah yes yeah no it's not a bad story at all i think it just falls foul of just the way that the show was planned and produced back in the day i, I know that we say it a lot and it's it's still it's still pertinent today but um, and that probably leads into a little bit of why you didn't enjoy it as much. They weren't designed to be binge watched. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, probably back in the day when you'd watched it on a, um, what, what day of the week would have been the 24th of February? I have no idea, but anyway, you would have finished watching the episode and then you had a whole week to kind of for two things to happen, really. One, if you enjoyed the episode, you had a whole week to look forward to the next one. And if you were in a, a circle of friends or you had people that also liked the show, that provided a little bit of conversation throughout the week. Like, oh, did you watch Doctor Who? Yeah, it was really cool. What do you reckon is going to happen next week? So you had that kind of build up to it. But also, um, just via how the human brain works, you wouldn't have remembered every single little detail by the time a whole week rolled round. So, yeah. you know, so when you binge watch it, everything's still kind of fresh in your mind. So you all, you often get this feeling of just everything, you know, you're just 
you're consuming every single thing in one big block and you know so um i, I think back in the day what watching all of these six parters from classic who and stuff it probably wouldn't have been so bad um you know watching them over six weeks and having that week break if you like to do unless it yeah. was an atrocious <clears throat> story of course <laughs> you were like <clears throat> oh god can we just get the next three weeks out of the way <laughs> so we can get on to the next one maybe i don't know get to the next story yeah yeah no no it's definitely not it's it, it, it has got enough going for it i think like you said the which if you're watching it one a week would have definitely kept you engaged it's not bad in that sense at all uh, and i do like the concept i love this idea of this device that can make you you know see things which you know that was a nice idea like when the yeah. doctor's telling him to look at the think the draconian thinks he's looking at an an earth man doesn't he and he's like look at it again look at it and it turns into an ogron <laughs> you know it's a nice it's a nice simple but effective idea so I, yeah i like that indeedy yes what did you think to uh, so story-wise you know it's fairly simple uh, as we've discussed uh, humans draconians they're being set up basically um because the daleks know that if they take each other out which the master then sort of masterminds on their behalf because he's in it for his own sort of gains. Initially, he just says, look, if this comes off, all I ask is that you let me rule Earth, you know. Um, but we obviously know yeah. that he's got a bigger plan than that, because when he hangs up the, the, the phone, I guess, it's <laughs> when he hangs up the phone, um, he's like, you know, has you know, he mocks them a little bit, and he basically <laughs> knows that um, once that's in motion, he can then, you know, eventually take out the Daleks and universes. So he's got a grand plan, and um, and that's the thing. So story wise, fairly simplistic. Let's talk about some characters. What did you think to um, the the Draconians? Because coming from um, Revenge of the Daleks, sorry, Revenge of the Cybermen last week, um, we noted that there was some. Uh, a little bit of weirdness in the, the costumes and stuff like that. Mm. And the Draconians in this story, they're probably the ones that... Um, sorry, the Draconians and the Ogrons, I guess. They're the ones that would have provided any kind of sort of little sniggers from people when you see the makeup and stuff. But what did you think to the Draconians in terms... Because what I'd like you to get your thoughts on specifically is we commented last week that there was this kind of loud, shouty Shakespearean delivery yeah, from, you know, certain characters. And it gets that way a little bit, doesn't it, with the Draconians, especially when they go to Draconia and they see the, um, the, the, the Draconian Emperor. He's, you know, played by John Woodnut. He's very much like that. Um, so did you see some similarities there? And what did you think to those guys in general? Yeah, I, I definitely, there is a bit of similarity. It's just that style of acting from this this sort of era. Um, and obviously it carried through a bit into, uh, actually, well, this is seven, isn't it? So it's not that far behind. Um, yeah, there's definitely a bit of similarity there. The difference, I think, is that uh, the Draconians um, look a lot better than the Vogons. <laughs> like the, the, I, I really like the design of the draconians i think they they look very they look like they could have been in star trek you know i don't know if they were influenced by anything in star trek but i could quite easily see them yeah. you know in in a battle with the klingons or something so i think they're a great design and i think they actually look good for the time i think the makeup and and the masks and stuff that they've made for them and the costumes 
um, look very good for the time. I do. I really like the Draconians. As for the performance, yeah, it's it is a little bit theatrical, but that doesn't bother me. It's it's just that style of acting that we had at the time, and you know, it does make them come across as a bit pompous and maybe even a little unlikable. But yeah, I, I think they look good, mate. And I have no problem really with the performance. It's just what you'd expect from this era of Who. Yeah, um, they look good. Yeah. They, I do love the designers of Draconians. I can see why Pert we like them. I think the fact you can see, you know, the master designed to show the eyes and, and mouth to give more expression uh, works a lot better um, on the Draconians than it did with the Vogons, who who the master just didn't look like they even fitted properly. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think they're, they're they're pretty cool. I like the Draconians. Yes. No, I would agree. And I'm glad you said that because um, although you can tell the makeup's a little bit off on a certain couple of the, the characters, for the most part, they've done a decent enough job of sort of blending yeah. it into the actor's actual face and um, and it gives them a little bit more freedom, like you said, to be a bit more expressive and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, and I quite like the Draconians. I'll tell you what, they've got patience, man. As, <laughs> as, as characters, how much patience did they have? Because... Pretty much throughout the entire story, other than the little, um, there was that little, um, they went off piste a little bit, didn't they? Where they staged uh, a, a sort of a kidnapping of the Doctor and Joe to bring them dr- oh, yeah. to Draconia to sort of uh, yeah. to find out themselves what was really going on. For the most part, they just put up with all the accusations, didn't they? Throughout three or four episodes, he had that um, General Williams guy that was like, "You guys are." You know, you're you're a piece of work, you lot. You know, we've we've meant <laughs> That's to have, right, yeah. Basically that's what you're saying, isn't it? He's like, We've yeah. had this peace treaty in place, but yet you lot keep attacking our ships and you keep doing this and you keep doing that. And the the ambassador, the Draconian ambassador, just like it's not us, mate. I don't know where you're getting your intel from, but it's not us. And then he keeps they keep throwing that at him and even the president. Like yeah. yeah, she even she sort of starts to buy into William's uh sort of hyperbole and he's and she's like well, i don't know let's let's get this sorted out so you can tell she starts to lean into that a little bit but then she comes to her senses so the draconians i, I really do like them they're very cool and uh and and the the guy that plays the draconian emperor john woodnut he's been in some doctor who he was uh hibbert in spearhead from space he was the emperor ah, yes. in this. He played two roles in Terror of the Zygons. Um, he played the Duke of Forgil, you know, the, the that guy, and then Broton, one of the Zygons. And then, yes, uh, I've only yeah. just realised it. I've just looked at his picture on Wiki. I didn't realise that was him in the Draconian costume. Yeah. Yeah, and I then remember him. He was Seron in The Keeper of Tarkin. Wow. So he's had some decent roles in Classic Who, mate. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realise he'd done that much. It's, it's funny because when you said his name, Job Woodnut, that, that sort of rang a bell. Um, and I think I'd associate him most from Trail of the Zygons. But yeah, I didn't realise that was him under all the all the prosthetics. Um, and the other thing, mate, we have to remember, of course, is they, they do look good because we're now watching this on shiny enhanced, digitally enhanced Blu-ray, you know, which does show up a lot more faults. And I, I kept thinking... So the scene where the, the Doctor's in space and you can clearly see the wires that he's on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I kept thinking, yeah, but you probably wouldn't have seen that back in the day because, you know, people's televisions, the picture wouldn't have been as sharp as we're watching it now. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's almost like you, know, you wouldn't have scrutinized, scrutinized it as much back then. So I think we have to take that into consideration. So the fact that masks still look good, even though we're watching them on crystal clear televisions now on shiny Blu-ray, um, they probably looked even better <laughs> back in the day. People were probably more much, you know, more impressive, I mean, not better. So, yes. you know, it yeah. does highlight stuff like, you know, like I said, like the wires the doctor's on when he's supposed to be floating in space, which is so obvious <laughs> now that you think, gosh, can't believe they, you know, can't believe they didn't sort of try and hide them. But you probably wouldn't have noticed them back in the day uh, on the sort of televisions people would have been watching on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the low, yeah. low res, pixelated, fuzzy, yeah, broadcast versions. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. Um, of course, John Woodnut's most memorable role is nothing to do with Doctor Who. I think we can all agree uh, his role as Merlin in the children's adventure program Nightmare from back in oh, the day. Oh, was he in that? Come on! Oh gosh! Nightmare, one yeah, of the best Nightmare. children's programs ever made. Fact. Oh, it was. It was great. Oh. Yeah. I'm not sure if this aired outside the US, uh, UK, but any US, if you're a US listener, then, and you've never heard of the program Nightmare, spelt with a K, it went from the late 80s into, I think, 91 or something like that. YouTube it. Yeah. It is so good. I'll leave it there. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah, what a blast in the past, mate. When we say they don't make... You know, children's television like they used to anymore. That is a prime example. God, it was good. It was, uh, yeah. It was amazing. I'd love to be able to yeah. watch that now. Is it on YouTube? They're all on YouTube, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh got to go watch some of that. Because I'd forgotten about Nightmare and it was a brilliant show. Yeah. Yeah. So he was in that, was he? He was. He played Merlin. I, I think a couple of other little characters as well. But yeah, what a show, man. Craw. <laughs> Coming in yeah. from school, kicking your uniform off. Straight to the TV, bowl of cereal, cup of tea, before Neighbours and Home and Away came on. Cool. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. 87, oh, it's a bit later than I thought as well. I thought it was earlier than that. Yeah, Early computer graphics at their best. Yeah. Oh, I love <laughs> it, mate. So the premise was you had four kids, and you had three of them in the studio watching the other fourth one on a, on a monitor, and he was basically in a room covered with blue sheets, blue screen but it was like very early 3d uh, graphics and so on but he had a helmet on so he couldn't see what he was doing or she couldn't see and he and they relied on the three teammates uh who were like you've entered a room there's a table with a book on it so take three steps forward you know and pick up the book and then like there'd be an actor that popped in like a jester or a wizard or something and he'd give you a riddle and the people, the three kids in the studio had to solve the riddle before he could leave the room. And, That's it. and then you had the dungeon master who was like in the studio as well. He was like, welcome young friends. Another adventure. Oh, mate. Oh God, it's like he's in the room. That's actually a pretty good impression. That's how he sounded like. Yeah. Listener, you have, if you've never seen it, <laughs> you have got to watch it. It is so good. Oh man. It is making me want to watch it. Do you know, I've just realised, this guy's done more than I realised. Sorry to keep, we will move on from John Woodner in a minute, but he, he's also was in, do you remember The Boy From Space? The, 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 yeah, yeah. We watched this at school as part of um, Look and Read. He was the creepy alien dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course he was. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this guy's done loads more than I thought. He, he's part of my, he's part of our um, childhood, this guy. God, he's been in loads of stuff that I used to watch, yeah. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. you know, second to Nightmare, 
the other most important thing is Zed Cars as a classic Who well, uh, actor, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Draconians, dude. I like them. And the performances were good as well. They they picked a few actors, a bit like John Woodnut, but um, Peter Birrell, uh, who was the other guy, the captain, Bill Wilde. You know, they picked a few guys that, um, although it was of its time, they weren't chewing the wood as much as some of the other stories where you have like these, you know, typical British, you know, actors that used to shout a lot. There was a little bit of that, but they played them very well, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think to the Ogrons? So these were, they, they came across and they still do as like this very primitive race who yeah. are, you know, they, they just take orders quite easily. The master has manipulated them fairly well. They, they, the way they've been designed and the way the actors played them, they were very more like sort of cavemen-ish. Um, and I'll tell you what, dude, you can see why any, anyone that's seen um, the, uh, you, you probably have, but you know, the Lord of the Rings movies from Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson, we know, is a massive Doctor Who fan and was a really big fan of, of classic Doctor Who. And you can see that um, the Urukai in The Lord of the Rings, they look almost the same as the Ogrons. So, yeah, I, I mean, I have yeah. seen Lord of the Rings. I can't remember. I'm not, I've probably only watched it once. So Yeah, I mean, they, they look, look like them, do they? Almost, mm-hmm. yeah, almost uh, the same. So I think Peter Jackson had a little bit of... Took a little mm. bit of inspiration there with the designers and stuff. But anyway, the Ogrons, dude, um, a very small bunch of people playing those guys. They, they're not really in it a lot. They turn up a couple of times, cause some chaos, and then we see them a little bit more towards the end when <laughs> when the, the, the master sort of scolds one of them for messing it up. And, oh, that's and so then, funny. Yeah, and then one of them runs off when the doctor uses a device <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, so um, yeah. they were okay, as expected. You just don't see much of them, really. Yeah, I think they they work. They're a nice contrast to everyone else. In this story that's very serious and you know quite um, you know because they are like you said they're quite cavemanish. So they they do lean into the more comedic side of things. Um, but I yeah I think they work quite well in this. I mean like you said the scene where the master's telling them off. You almost feel sorry for them. He's <laughs> master's giving them a right good old. Um, What's the word? I I don't want to use the swear word. I'm trying to think of another word. Telling off. A good <laughs> he's giving a right good. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so he's giving a yeah, giving them a right one. Um, but yeah, I think they're quite. I think they're a sort of a good a good contrast to the other characters in the story. So I think they work quite well in it actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. Um, and then some of the human characters. Uh, the two guys at the beginning where this whole thing kicks off, they're on this... Oh, in the spaceship. Yeah, so they're on a yeah. um, a cargo ship, basically, just full of flour. There's no there's no military uh, stuff going on at this point, but um, they get boarded by the Ogrons, but they think they're the Draconians because, uh, as we find out later on, it's this kind of sonic mind control device thing that sort of mm. changed their vision of, of people and so on. Uh, so those two guys, they were... Um, they were they were kind of cool. They set the story up nicely. There's a little bit of tension between the two of them. One of them thinks that, you know, war is on the way. He can see what's coming over the horizon with the draconians and stuff. The other one's like, ah, you know, it's, it'll pass over. These things always do. And then, yeah, and then they get boarded and attacked. And that's when the Doctor first gets captured and whatnot. Mm-hmm. A little bit later on when Williams turns up with the others and stuff like that. So those guys are okay. 
Yeah, no, they were they were fine. Yeah, I was gonna say they they don't stand out to me as as anything special, but they they were don't stand out as bad either. So if you know what I mean, yeah, yeah, they were fine. Yeah, they were cool. And then some of the more leading roles for the humans we had. What do you reckon to uh, Vera Fusek, who's the president? I thought that was good casting, you know, because um, typically what you have is when you have a couple of villains, you normally get the. Uh, you know, this is just TV of its time back in the day. I'm not saying she's a villain, but um, mm. uh, normally when you have sort of the higher class humans, it's normally a, 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 a fairly older white gentleman, you know, who's yeah. playing that kind of role. So I thought it was cool that they played, they cast not only a woman as the president, but also um, someone who's not of, not British born. I think she is, was she British born? But she was from Czechoslovakia, I think. So she's got that kind she of... She like she had a slight accent, I thought. Yeah. yeah, an accent. But I thought she was okay, you know. I thought she was pretty good. She, You, you could see the pendulum swinging back and forth, if you like, where she mm. was, you know, buying into the Doctor's story and thinking, should she believe them and stuff? And then she swings back when William starts to, you know, tout all of his rubbish and then she sees what's yeah. going on around the planet and all that stuff. So I thought she was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. I thought she was good. I, I don't know the actor Vera for a sec. I've not heard of her before, but yes, I thought she was fine, mate. Yeah, yeah, she was good. Yeah, I've not she seen uh, her in anything else, but yeah, she was quite cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we had Michael Hawkins as General Williams. Now, he was mm-hmm. a very cool character. And yeah. uh, the reason there's two reasons why I think he's cool. The first one is he stands his ground throughout most of the story, he's mm-hmm. absolutely convinced, 100% that the draconians are bad news and that they plan an invasion and war is going to you know start and all the rest of it and um and it's not until the very end where the draconian prince i think it is basically says look you obviously didn't know this at the time but we had a problem with our ship and something else went wrong it wasn't intended as anything and even our missile um uh, weapon capabilities we had nothing nothing on board it was all so he kind of realizes that at the end and then he immediately apologizes to the president and goes off with the doctor to try and sort it out so a real nice turn of sort of his motivation and his character in the end so he starts off as this real hard-nosed you know he, he absolutely convinced that the draconians are, are, are bad news but then he switches you know he's humble at the end he doesn't you know he doesn't go too nuts and 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 run off or anything he just takes it on the chin and yeah and sorts it out so i thought you played that really well he's a, i thought it was a really good performance in that one what what i liked about him was that the so that the actor was cool was it michael hawkins um what i liked yeah. about michael hawkins is that i felt like he was giving some energy because <laughs> a lot mm. of people in this um just seem to be a little bit like i said about the two guys on the spaceship nothing wrong with them nothing wrong with the performance just a bit going through the motions a bit flat didn't stand out michael williams did stand out because he was giving a bit of you know he was shouty but not too over the top and he just felt like he was putting the effort in which I appreciated in a story that was getting a bit uh, ploddy. You know, he kind of like, oh, who's this guy? He's, you know, he's got something to him. So, yeah, I thought he was pretty cool as General Williams. Um, and I appreciate that he was going for it. <laughs> like, you know, hmm. great. He obviously, obviously thought, right, I'm in Doctor Who. I'm going to make my mark. And um, he stood out as one of the more, uh, as one of the better people in it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And uh, it's kind of funny as a, as an actor, Michael Hawkins, he was, um, he was in loads of things, such as supporting actors, never starred in anything. 
Um, yeah. But um, before Doctor Who, um, he starred in this thing called They Came From Amp, uh, this really low-budget um, uh, film called They Came From Beyond Space. Mm-hmm. And he played a character called Williams oh. <laughs> in that story. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that was intentional or not to just reuse the name, but a nice little uh, whimsical thing there. Yeah. But he was cool, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Delgado, dude, never disappoints, does he? Absolutely. No, he really doesn't. He is on it. Every story that Delgado, like we can, as we've done already with this story with John Pertwee and some of the other leading roles with Doctors and Companions, there's been a few stories, even Tom, there's been a few stories where we said mm. they're just not feeling this one. Yeah. We said it especially with Davison, right, on some of his stories, where we've just yeah. commented that, yeah, there's just not, they're, they're not firing on all cylinders. It's a little bit flat here and there. You yeah. cannot say that about Delgado. Every single story he's in, he's on it. And this is no exception, right? He is so good, dude. I love, he's just electric. Every scene, yeah. even the scene where he's going to sleep in the cell yeah. with the doctor yes. and that. It's just so oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's so no, cool. He's, his screen presence is amazing. That little twinkle he has in his eye, and you're, you're right. He he is bang on the money every single episode he's in. Um, and as I said, I know it gets a little bit predictable that the master will turn up, um, but I don't care because he he is just brilliant. Um, I do love that scene when he locks the doctor. As the, yeah, he locks the doctor and Joe in the cell, and the doctor starts talking about. Um, what happened in the end of the war games, which I thought was quite interesting, actually quite, you know, he starts talking about the, you know, the Time Lords banishing him to Earth and and all that. I thought, oh, that's a really nice little moment, actually. Uh, but then um, it cuts to Delgado sort of rolling his eyes at the Doctor going on and on and on. I just thought, oh, it's, he's wonderful. Like, he just, it, yeah, every minute that he's on screen, um, you can't take your eyes off him. I I adore Delgado yeah. as the master. That, yeah, I mean, I yeah. said it's not the best story for him to go out on because it is his last story. And I know there were grand plans, weren't they? Weren't there to actually, that there was going to be a a big old battle coming up in a future story. Um, what was it going to be called? Was it the, the last game or the end game? Or <gasps> I had it in front of me a minute ago and now I can't find it. So basically Delgado wasn't getting any was was his work was drying up because you know he was so associated with the show and and um producers were just assuming that he was on the show full time when he wasn't so you know he said i i, I love playing the master but I, I need to get other work too barry letts so they, barry letts was actually going to kill off the master believe it or not um at sort of delgado's request in a in an epic uh blockbuster of a story uh, which obviously never came to be because sadly Roger Delgado um, was killed in a car accident, I believe, wasn't it? He was, unfortunately, um, yeah. 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 Um, so th- it never got to happen. But in a way, I'm glad the master never got killed off um, because obviously, even though it came back with different actors and I think they've all put their own stamp on it, I don't think any of them have ever quite reached the heights of uh, of Delgado. Um, yeah, agreed. What was that story going to be, mate? I had it in front of me, and now I can't find it. I think, you know, listeners will probably know of this anyway, but there was going to be a big battle between the Doctor and the Master uh, in the following season. Um, 
which would have seen the master finally killed off in a big way so that there was no doubt that he could ever come back. And it was so that Roger Delgado could actually uh, get some <laughs> get some other work because he was just saying, I'm just, you know, people just think I'm a regular in, the, in Doctor Who, so they're not offering me part. So mm. I kind of need to... I need to go, unfortunately, but yeah. yeah. But he's brilliant, mate. Absolutely brilliant. He is great, isn't he? Really cool. Uh, Katie Manning, then, as Joe Grant, she um, mm. she had a, a fairly decent story in this one, dude, because uh, quite often you see companions back in the classic era. It's it, you kind of go from one extreme to the other, where you have the companion, and there's been quite a few Sarah Jane stories that do this where they are very self-sufficient and they'll go off and, you know, they'll be quite instrumental in helping the doctor or doing something. And then you go to the other extreme where you have companions that just follow the doctor around. Really? They, they have a few conversations and stuff. They're not really doing much, you know, is the, is the crux of it. But I think Joe in this one, she had a really good, a really good part to play. She's in it a lot. You know, she's, as well as the doc, she's probably in it more than the doctor, uh, yeah. by just a little bit perhaps. But uh, she's great, right, Katie Manning? She's very, very cool and uh, just so likable, mate. Just she's got this uh, very positive outlook on things. Very hardly ever cynical on stuff, and you know wants to see the best in everybody. She champions, you know, the draconians, and very early on, and she she can see what's going on and just got this innocence about her and i don't know she's mm. very very cool mate she's really good in this one I, I thought she was very strong in this actually um and i i never realized how much of a progression we got in joe's character before until we've sort of been re-watching these stories because she does start off this feels like a very different joe grant than the joe grant we saw in sort of terror the autons for example you know she starts off quite sweet and innocent and like you said she's following the doctor around and he's very protective of her and then by the time we get to this story joe man uh joe grant is like she's solving all the mysteries she's really feisty she's standing up to the master i love that bit when he tries to hypnotize her and she's having none of it in the masters can't he can't hypnotize her and he's he's almost um rather than getting annoyed he almost smirks like well done like you know you did well to resist that um yeah and she's very strong in it mate and written to be a really feisty sort of um more mature joe grant uh as well and katie plays it brilliantly i just hadn't realized there was such a uh, it's not I, I was going to say big difference it's not a big difference it's the same character but there is definitely a progression you know you can tell that this Joe Grant has seen more experienced more has got used to you know the situation she's going to be in and how to deal with them rather than having the doctor come in and save her she she will break out of that cell herself with a spoon you know so yeah <laughs> I, I really but yeah I really thought Katie Manning was fantastic in this I really did it she her and Roger Delgado really made this story for me. I thought they were both very, very strong. But yeah, yes. particularly Katie, she did really stand out, I thought. Yeah, same, dude. Very much agree. Yeah. Uh, just very quickly before we move on to John Pertwee, that story you were talking about, it was meant to be a serial called The Final Game. And it was the meant, final game, it was meant it? to be the finale to Series 11. Mm. so that would have gone on to effectively uh 
yeah, killed that character off, basically. I mean, they would have brought the Master back. No one's really... No one's gone, are they, really, in (laughs) sci-fi? Not in Doctor Who. No, the Master would have been back at some point. But if that story would have gone ahead, it would have been many, many years, I think, before we saw the Master again. But, yeah, the final game. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Has Big Finish ever adapted it? Also, it sounds like the sort of thing Big Finish would have picked up. I don't don't know if they have. I'm just guessing. But. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but no, maybe I don't, so. I don't know how far it got into production or writing. So maybe it was just like an outline. So maybe there's not enough for them to to go on. Although it doesn't normally stop them, but you know, <laughs> maybe there wasn't quite enough uh, for them to get going on. Yeah, I think that was just it, dude. Just an, a a story idea, you mm. know. Yeah. Uh, okay, then finally, John Pertwee then. So we've spoken about him a little bit already, but uh, still enjoyable to watch. Still um, still providing some sort of presence on screen. But I do agree with your thoughts right at the beginning. I think he's just a little bit... I wouldn't say he looks bored, but he does have this kind of... like His facial expression is rolling his eyes, but he's not rolling his eyes, if that makes sense. Mm. Um and I think that may be just down to the repetitiveness of some of the story elements and stuff like that. So still cool, but absolutely not one of his best, mate. Yeah, I did. I just, there's just no standout moment um, from John Pertwee for me in this one, I have to say. it's it, He does, he just comes across as, as a little bit going through the motions. I hate to say that because, you know, I do I love the Third Doctor, but yeah, his delivery of the lines that there was just no fire in his performance. You know, if I think back to, it's almost the opposite of Katie Manning, actually, if I think back to the third doctor in Inferno and how like, Oh gosh, John Pertwee is incredible in that story. Like he is absolutely firing on all cylinders. You know, he's in control. He's shouting the lines. He's delivering the lines. You can tell he's well into the action. This one, I kind of felt like he was just sort of wandering around, getting thrown into cell after cell, sitting down, rubbing his chin, looking at the floor. Even the scenes with Joe, which were probably the best scenes that he has in it, where he's like talking about, you know, the war games Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. I, I just felt it was a very flat performance from from him in this. I don't know if it's just I don't know if it's the way it was written or if it was intentional. I don't know, but I just thought, God, he's really not like with Katie with Joe. She really lifted the story. They could re- she she was giving a bit of fire uh, in her performance. I just didn't feel anything from John in this particularly, and I really hate to say that because. I love him as the Doctor Mate, as you know. But yeah, he didn't do it for me in this story at all. No, Reja. Same. I thought he was good. Don't get me wrong. I thought some of the scenes were... I think it's a weird word to use, isn't it? Nice. I hate using that word normally, but there's a couple of nice scenes, you know, when mm. he's chatting to Joe and uh, and when he, gets to, when he gets to know some of the other people up in the penal colony, the colony that's kind of cool. That's probably the best yeah. bit with the Doctor, I think, is that stuff on the spaceship. Because I do like it when we cut to the outside of the spaceship, even though you can see the wires. I don't care that <laughs> we can see the wires. I, I just like, you know, there's something about it being on film and the Doctor in a spacesuit. I liked all that stuff. And mm. I do like the scene where the, they're tricked into going outside and, they've, the, you know, the canisters are empty and all that. That that was cool. I liked that bit of the story. And that's probably when John Pert was best in it, I think, in this story. 
Um, yeah, but true. yeah, those aside, yeah. oh, there is a guy that I don't know what the character is called. There was a guy in that spaceship that is abs- is is absolutely outdoing everyone in terms of the acting board mediocre performance. I don't know what it's called. Do you know the guy I mean with the little glasses on that? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Who um, was that guy? I was like, is this? Does he know the cameras are rolling? It was the worst, most boring performance ever. I don't know who the character was, but. But um, yeah, sorry, mate. I have to say, yeah, just John Pooey just not really doing it for me in this one. Not bad, like you said. I just the word I wrote down was subdued. You know, he's just very subdued in this story. Yeah, that that guy you were talking about, Professor Dale, that's played by Harold <laughs> Goldblatt. Yeah, he was. Um, that was a that was an odd. <laughs> although to be an fair, performance. Yeah, it made you watch it though. It did. True. Keep you glued a little <laughs> bit, but um, I know what you mean though. Yeah, but compared to me overall, yeah, just a bit muted compared yeah. to some of his other stories. Uh, last thing on my notes, dude, is that, as usual, is the music from old Dudders, Dudley Simpson. Uh, mm. Not terrible, this one. We had uh, something to say, not didn't we? About, piercing. Yeah, about uh, last week's um, Revenge of the Cybermen. That was just a very odd uh thing that you could tell why they tried to fix that this one's not too bad actually dude it's got a nice little motif that comes in uh at least once every episode i think um and some other nice little bits but uh yeah not terrible mate not terrible no it's all right it's it's, it's dudley's sort of um more synthy era isn't it i prefer Mm -hmm. it when he he goes into using sort of just the real wind instruments and more you know, traditional uh, instruments, whereas this one's a little bit more uh, electronic. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. not. Um, yeah, it's not bad electronic. No, it was fine. I, I, I didn't mind the music at all. I, I thought it worked quite well within the story, like with the spaceship scenes and model shots and stuff. It was quite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it suited it. Yeah, quite well. Uh, the only yeah. other thing I've got on my notes, dude. I don't know if you've got anything else, but um, <laughs> just one thing. On. Just one thing. Um, I got one thing. Yeah, I was cracking up laughing when, <laughs> when the TARDIS materializes on the ship at the beginning. Mm. The close up is of the lamp on the top, and I don't yeah. know what the prop dudes were doing, <laughs> but it, it's like a few little wooden dowels with a, with a little yeah. bit of black card over the top, <laughs> and this random light bulb that they bought from, I don't know. It just Woolies, looks cheap and horrible. And then it zooms out a little yeah. bit and they haven't even got the right sign at the top on the front. So you can, when they open the doors, you can see the, the acrylic sign on the back of the TARDIS, which is says police box and so on. But then at the front, they forgot to put it on. So it's just like this blank bit of blue wood or acrylic waiting for the sign to be put on. So I don't know what that, that, that seems to be something that plagues classic doctor who doesn't it where yeah just the the most crucial of details like the tardis is like the thing right outside of like the sonic screwdriver or whatever the tardis is the thing that everybody loves from from yeah. doctor who so you would have thought i mean they wouldn't get away with it now you have like loads of continuity people and set dressers and prop designers that are on set all the time but back then it was like ah oh, should we get this old thing in then <laughs> wheel it in come on just stick yeah. it down we all know what it looks like by now and i don't i honestly think that people just wheeled it in and pl- plopped it down and then never took a second look at it because they just assumed yeah. it was all right but it looks dreadful mate 
Bloody hell. It, it never ceases to amaze me how bad the TARDIS prop looks during the classic era of Doctor <laughs> Who. Yeah. And also how sometimes how shoddy the interior looks as well. I mean, there are stories where you can see two inches thick dust on top of the rotor and you think, God, oh, come on, guys, like get in there with a duster and at least clean it off. Because, you know, like you said, sometimes it starts with a close-up of the rotor and then zooms out so you can see the blooming dust uh, a mile off. But yeah, that, that I did note the prop, mate, not just the lamp, but I noticed the sign. Uh, I also, if you if you go back and look at that notice, there's a huge gap between the sign on the front of the TARDIS and the roof. Like this, there is. As if there's yeah. a bit of the prop missing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like they sort of, I don't know how they used to put the TARDIS together back in the day, but it looks like they quickly knocked it up and thought, oh, I think, we, I think we've put the back bit on the front oh well no don't worry about it no one's gonna know because it, it, it looks shoddy as hell uh, not quite as <laughs> i think the worst it's ever looked there is a Troughton story and it cracks him up every time i think it's one of the yeti ones or something and i hope you know the one i mean there is this quick shot of the tardis where the, <laughs> it looks it the roof has like been plonked on it very quickly it's not even been put on properly and it looks like if you were to touch that tardis with one finger you could push it over <laughs> oh yes yeah. Do you know that scene yep. it's like it's like a wonky roof mm-hmm. on a shoddy old um prop i don't know that that tardis mate why they never it can't have been that hard to maintain it or at least make it look half decent but yeah every story pretty much yeah it just looks terrible and it changes all the time it's as if they just like a puzzle i can imagine every time they had to put it together uh, or get out of storage you know they had these sort of four slats the four walls the the floor and they quickly put it back together um <laughs> shove the signs on and is that how it's meant to go together oh that'll do because that's how it looks isn't it you know, it, it does, yeah. and I think that is what happened. If people are thinking, well, surely they just once they put it up, left it up. I don't think so. I think mm, it was yeah. like a flat pack right. prop that they sort of stored away and then got out. And I don't know, but it, it, it looks shoddy as shoddy as anything. That poor old Tardis. It does, prop. doesn't it? Poor Tardis. Yeah, yeah. Poor old Tardis. Uh, anything and on your and notes? I remember. I'm oh, sorry. Go uh, on. Just, sorry, I just got to quickly say. I remember. Da- I think it was Davison saying it absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was Davison said it absolutely stank inside it. By <laughs> oh, the that's time, right. He said by the time they uh, <laughs> used it in his era, he said we used to go in there and be like, "Oh, it stinks in here!" Like, and I never. I can't help. It's almost like I can smell it every time I see it on screen. I think, God, I can just imagine what it's like in there. Like, yeah. like a, a sweaty, yeah. musty smell. Well, it would have um, gone anyway, from yeah. like being on location in the rain and being yeah. plopped in all sorts of places and then left in storage, which is probably damp and all the rest of yeah. it. So when you walk into it and it hasn't been used for a few months or whatever, yeah, it probably did reek. Oh, oh I bet it absolutely did. Well, Davo said it did. It, did. Yeah. it reeked in yeah. there. Uh, anyway, poor old Tardis. We do love it. Um, no, the only other thing I've got on my notes, mate, was to ask you if you were pleased to see the Drashigs back, because I know how much you <laughs> love them. And uh, <laughs> we got we got there in the beginning. And and as if that wasn't enough, they we see them again at the end. We um, do. So yeah. joking aside, actually, um, I did love the little scenes where we saw... So at the end, they're hallucinating and we see a... A Drashig, a Sea Devil. What's the other thing we see? A, a Mutt. I thought that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but oh, there is one other thing I've got to quickly talk about. But did, were you pleased to see the Drashigs? No, because. Um, no, you don't like the Drashigs, do you? No, because unfortunately for the Drashigs in this story, 
they've shrunk by about 50 times their original size, <laughs> which yeah. is weird. But no, they look ridiculous, yeah. mate. Yeah. <laughs> see, I love the Drashies, but every time I see them now, I can just hear you in my head saying, they've got all those eyes. How can they not see? And I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. They can't see anything. They've got like 10 eyes. Yeah. Um, all right, moving aside to the Drashies, there is one other thing I quickly want to say. It was about the... Um, the quick wrap-up ending because it, it, it does it is a really bizarre ending like the master just vanishes and everything kicks off and um so yeah i was watching the making of and basically the explanation for this is that the <laughs> the monster that the drash that the ogrons are scared of um and i don't know if it had a name the orgon orgron eater, the eater whatever it was yeah yeah, the prop, we see it for a split second on location, don't we? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of built up. There, you know, they, there's a picture of it on the wall that the Ogrons sort of give food to, to, you know, to sort of not worship it, but try and keep it at bay. So we see it for a second on screen, and then we never see it again. And the reason is that basically the, the prop was so bad that the director <laughs> said, um, we can't film this original ending. The original ending would have been that monster that prop coming in and scaring all the ogrons and going mad and killing them or whatever mm-hmm. and he just said we can't have that thing on screen like literally it looks terrible so this is what i was saying they were practically writing the ending on the on the studio floor as they were filming um and just said i know just everyone just goes mad and what we'll do is we'll cut to the doctor going in to the tardis and that'll be that'll be it so that's why it's such a sev- severe ending is because they kind of just made it up on the spot to get rid of using this um ogron monster which looked terrible and then i think it was um either tone sticks or barrylet said right what we'll do then is we'll plonk on a little scene from the next story where the doctor contacts the time lords and that's where we'll end it like that then instead of just having them you know go away from the monster right. so that's why basically yeah. that's why the ending is so weird and rushed it's because that thing, that monster was supposed to appear again and it just looked so bad. They didn't use it uh, yeah. and they improvised, basically. But uh, it did look bad. I mean, we see it for seconds on screen, but it, it, it does look bad, doesn't it? Looks on terrible. the rock, it's sort of, it looks like a giant balloon. Uh, well, it looks like something a bit rude, actually. It just looks like a giant... Uh, mm-hmm. thing. I don't know. Yep. Thing. Yep. Pudding. Let's say a giant pudding. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I can see why they didn't go with using it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. It feels like, because um, there was a bit of a build-up to it, because there's a big mural of it on the wall. They keep yes. walking past, and you think, what's that thing? And then when you do see it, you're like, oh, that's um, that's weird. Uh, Somebody said that, why didn't they just um, say, why didn't they use the device that's been in the story of the way through of the hallucinations? They could have, somebody could have pressed that and maybe they could have hallucinated Daleks and things all coming towards them because they'd, they'd already obviously got the props out to film those tiny little cameos. So that would have been a much more dramatic ending. I don't know, I'm surprised they didn't think of that. Yeah, that would have worked, wouldn't it? That would have scared yeah. them all off. Like that would have been much mm. better. But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. They probably ran out of time, mate, as usual, with Classic Who. No, joking aside, they they were probably against the clock, had to quickly think of something, and that's what they came up with. So, Yes, yeah. I mean, in a way, it's it does feel kind of cool because it leads in very nicely to the next story, doesn't it? It feels like a continuation because... Yeah, definitely. At yeah. the end, the Doctor's got the telepathic circuits with the TARDIS and he's contacting the Time Lords and... You know, it kind of, this story and the next one, it's sort of linked, they are linked in that Mm. way because of that ending. So we go into Planet of the Daleks quite nicely. It's a nice little 
link. So there is a benefit to that rushed en- ending, I suppose, in that it just feels like it's a more of a series-wide story continuation, which is no mm. uh, no bad thing. And then there, okay. And then yeah, just the last thing I forgot to mention was uh, found it very funny that the master's reading War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. You know. yeah they always put these little jokes in yeah them. love it yeah. yeah love it he's literally reading the title of the story is what he's orchestrated or trying to so yeah that's kind of yeah. a fun little a little thing um mm-hmm. okay dude let's get to scores if you've got nothing else yes let's do the scores this should be interesting then mm. i think it's you to go, to go first, first actually mate i think it is yep. um i'm gonna go over six out of ten um, I was okay. around a five because I was a bit bored for a lot of it, but I do think the story is decent. It's just very repetitive. And as I said, I think it was almost my own fault for, for not being able to spread it out in the way it was intended to be watched. So I'll give it a six out of 10. Okie dokie. Um, I will go with a seven. Yeah. I was hoping ten. you'd be higher because you enjoyed it more. So yeah. Uh, I'm very aware of its, uh, of its faults in a way and aware that it's not, by any means, uh, the strongest performance from Pertwee or anything like that. But there's something about it that just keeps me... Like, I could happily watch this as a four and a two or three and a three mm. or something. Quite happily. You know, that would be fine. So, yeah, there's just something about it that uh, that captivates me a little bit, even though I'm aware of its, uh, of its faults, I guess. That's cool, dude. Yes. Okay, dude. So, six from you, seven from me. What story have we got next week? So next week, yeah, we're going back to the fourth Doctor because we we haven't got that many stories left for each Doctor. So we've got to try and get some of these fourth Doctor stories done. And we will be reviewing The Invasion of Time. Ah. The Invasion of Time. Of now, is that four or six parts? Uh, the Invasion remember. of Time is, is a six-parter. Yeah. Yeah. Another six-parter. Bloody hell. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. So this is... Uh, Invasion of Time, crikey! What is it? This must be a uh, Leela, uh, Leela and K nine yeah, job, Leela, right? Yeah, Leela yeah. and K nine. Yeah, back to Gallifrey. Back to um, Gallifrey. Chancellor Barusa, yeah. uh, I think. Yeah, uh, oh, I'm pretty sure Barusa will be in there. Yeah. Yes, and uh, okay, okay. This is the one with the funny TARDIS interior, isn't it? This is the one where it's like filmed in a hospital, and it's like, sorry, is this meant to be the TARDIS? Anyway, I. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to rewatching this one. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this one. Mm. Yes. Okay, so uh, that's the story for next week then, Invasion of Time. And uh, I think on that note, dude, let's wrap there for episode 389. All righty. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for listening to the Big Blue Box podcast. That was episode 389. As Adam said, for next week, we are going back to the fourth Doctor story, The Invasion of Time. So uh, uh, we'll be, I forgot, completely forgot to do it this week. My apologies for the frontier in space, but absolutely for next week, we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews for The Invasion of Time. So make sure you get your DVDs and Blu-rays watched. It's on everything now. It's still on BritBox. It's on iPlayer. We've got all the discs to go and do your stuff. So 
get that watched because we'll be asking for your thoughts as always in the meantime make sure you're following or subscribing to the big blue box on whatever podcast app you listen to your podcasts on you'll find us on there just do a search for us or if you head over to the website which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk there are links there as well to the various podcast networks and you can even listen on the website if you want if you're if you've got a desk job and you're working away and you want to listen in your browser you can do that and you can also read the reviews and articles from the writing team as well we're on the socials too instagram twitter facebook all that stuff there are links on the website come and get involved and we have a really cool free discord server as well so there's a link on the website for that hop in there and chat doctor who with lots of other core who fans and also don't forget to remember to go (laughs) and check out my co-host channel on youtube it is of course the geeks handbag Yes, I have, a ge- I have a YouTube channel uh, with lots of geeky stuff on it, mainly Dot2, so go and have a look. The Geek's Handbag. Geek's Handbag, indeedy. And he's on the socials under the same name as well, The Geek's Handbag. Until next week, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, a and- and-